0: Time for International News Digest. We're going to get some analysis on some of the top stories making headlines around the world. Our first issue, uh, the Philippines. The Philippine militant group Abu Sayyaf released a pair of videos. One, a a horrific video depicting the beheading of a Canadian businessman, John Ridsdale. And the second video showing three remaining hostages, a Canadian, a Norwegian, and a Filipino woman pleading for their governments to heed the militant group's demands. Uh, to find out more about the situation, we're very pleased to have joining us uh, from National War College of Southeast Asian Politics, Professor Zachary Abuza. Hello. Good morning. Thank you for having me. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Professor. Uh, for our Korean listeners, just a bit of background. Can you tell us uh, a little bit about Abu Sayyaf, who they are and uh, uh, what, they, what they stand for?
1: Uh, They were founded in 1991 by a veteran of the Mujahideen in Afghanistan. Uh, They had some al-Qaeda seed money, um, but by 1995, the group had completely degenerated into nothing more than a kidnap-for-ransom gang. Uh, They made uh, very high-profile attacks on dive resorts in the Philippines and Malaysia, uh, realizing that they could get um, far greater ransoms. For Western hostages um, by 2004, with the American intervention in the southern Philippines and a number of uh, Al Qaeda-linked terrorists uh, fleeing from Indonesia, uh, the group uh, stopped kidnapping and started uh, engaging in terrorism again mm-hmm. uh, until they were uh, pretty well defeated by 2007, and they went back to kidnapping. And that's kind of where we are right now. Um, They've been, uh, uh, certainly since 2013, stepped up their kidnap operations. Um, And, uh, you know, they've been very active against Filipinos, uh, raids into the Malaysian state of Sabah, and and now the most recent case with the Westerners from Davao. The one...
0: Issue, of course, making headlines, the horrific video, the the beheading of this Canadian hostage, uh, John Riddle. Can you just give us uh, an overview of what exactly happened there? Obviously, the Canadian government, uh, they're standing by their stance that they're not going to uh, cave to the demands of, of terrorists. But uh, what exactly happened here?
1: All right. Uh, so you had three... Westerners uh, who, and uh, Filipina who were abducted from the waterfront uh, of a resort in Davao City, which uh, is actually a, a relatively safe place. Um, and that was back in September. Uh, they were driven by speedboats uh, off to the Sulu archipelago, and they were held uh, and are still being held. The Abu Sayyaf released uh, four videos of them um, each time, uh, or excuse me, three of the four times they were shown in front of ISIS flags, um, begging for their lives, uh, begging that their uh, governments or families pay um, what was a, an extremely exorbitant uh, ransom. Um, you know, it started at, at around $18 million a, a person. Um by the last video, uh, it was reduced to eight million dollars a person, uh, but still very high fee. The Canadian government, like many governments, refused to pay uh, for the release of their two citizens, and and frankly, I, I do not disagree with that policy. Um, it it would completely incentivize the taking of people, not just in the Philippines, but around the world if uh, uh, thugs knew that uh, governments would quickly pay ransoms. And and we just cannot incentivize this anymore.
0: Certainly. And when you mentioned uh, this link with ISIS, and of course, the media headlines are all going to conflate this link with Islamic State. uh, Can you help me understand the, the political aims here, as it pertains to the Philippines? Because a lot of what you've described seems similar to what Boko Haram has been doing in Africa, where you you don't really understand their actual... over Are they trying to build a caliphate or something? It seems very different from what al-Qaeda is trying to accomplish or ISIS is trying to accomplish. Uh,
1: Yes. Um, And there are ISIS cells across Southeast Asia. The terrorist attack in Jakarta in January of this year that was you know, conducted by a group that had pledged allegiance to, to ISIS. Uh, the Abu Sayyaf did declare their allegiance to ISIS back in uh, July 2014. Um, but that was really more of a publicity stunt. You know, the Abu Sayyaf does not have a real ideology. Uh, they don't have a spiritual leader. Uh, these guys are thugs. Mm. Uh, you know, there are other groups out there in the southern Philippines, the Moro Islamic Liberation right. Front, that have a very clear ideology. They, they want an independent state. They want to be governed by Sharia law. It's laid out. Um, you know, the Abu Sayyaf are, are really, really a thuggish group. The problem is there are five or six groups now in the southern Philippines that have all declared their allegiance to the Islamic State. And I think there's, or certainly I have a concern that this gives the, uh, the declaration of, of allegiance to ISIS allows them to coalesce. Mm. Individually, none of these groups really poses a threat, but if you put them together, that starts to be a a problem. And and remember, as of today, we have a new government coming into the Philippines.
0: Now, much has been made about the newly elected president of the Philippines and all these, I I would say, overly simplistic comparisons to to a Donald Trump type of figure. But what are going to be this new government's challenges in, in trying to combat this?
1: Well, the kidnapping has gotten worse. Um, clearly since 2013, it, it's really exploded. And, you know, it's not just Westerners. Uh, by my count, there are 23 different hostages in the Southern Philippines. Um, and those include, uh, Malaysians and Indonesians, Filipinos, Europeans, uh, uh and, uh, people from Northeast Asia, China, Japan. Um, in the past, uh, they had kidnapped Koreans before, um, so this is a, a growing concern. Um, the government also has to deal with the fact that the peace process with the Moro Islamic Liberation Front has completely stalled out. Hmm. And, and that's a very large organization. They probably have about 11,000 men under arms. While the new government may uh, pick up that peace process again, um, there are a lot of disaffected MILF members that are uh, uh, no longer in the chain of command and who are engaging in their own violence. Uh, Recently, one group executed two uh, uh, Filipinos that they declared as spies in in a very IS-style video beheading. Um, So there's clearly the sense more violent in order to gain adherence and discredit your uh, rival
0: groups. Yeah, it does seem like a very difficult situation indeed. Uh, we are going to have to leave it there, Professor. Thank you so much for joining us once again and uh, always appreciate your time. Thank you. Thank you for having me. That was uh, Professor Zachary Abuza from National War College. We're going to turn now to... The controversy in the United States and the state of North Carolina, a uh, contentious bill has now pitted uh, not just progressives against conservatives, but uh, even the federal government uh, against the state government in North Carolina. I'm very pleased to have joining us from the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill, Law Professor Erica K. Wilson. Hello.: Hello. Good morning. Well, good morning to you. Thank you very much for joining us in this uh, early morning hour for you. Uh, I think for our listeners, we do need some background uh, here in Korea. It is known as the bathroom law uh, that North Carolina passed, HB2. Uh, What exactly is this? What does this law aim to do? Right. I mean, the
2: most um, popular provisions are the bathroom provisions, but the the law really does four things. Uh, With respect to the bathrooms, it requires people to use the restroom that corresponds with the gender that's listed listed on their birth certificate. Uh, So in other words, it prevents transgender persons from using bathrooms um, that correspond with their gender identity, but instead requires them to use restrooms that correspond with the listed sex on their birth certificate. Um, So that's the first major um, thing that the law does and probably the most uh, controversial and popular one. But the law also does a few other things. Uh, The second thing thing that it does is it actually spells out the grounds upon which employees uh, who work for the state are protected from discrimination and so it lists um, categories such as race, religion, color, national origin, age, disability, but importantly it modifies the term sex to include biological sex. Mm-hmm. So, what that essentially does is that it explicitly, um, through omission really, or through the uh, addition of the modifier biological, uh, permits uh, discrimination based on um, gender identity or transgender status. Um, so, that's an, another important piece. Um, And also, um, and this is specific to uh, general uh, employment, anti-state employment, anti-discrimination law, it prohibits um, North Carolina state courts from essentially hearing unlawful discriminatory termination claims. Um, It removes the private right of action uh, for individuals to bring a state law claim Uh, for unlawful discriminatory termination. So that means if you are in North Carolina, your only recourse is to resort to the federal courts, not the state courts. And lastly, it preempts or expressly uh, prohibits all local laws, practices, and policies that provide protection against discrimination beyond what is protected at the state level, uh, those categories that I I listed earlier.
0: It's become a hot-button issue, and it has had uh, political ramifications as well. Uh, we're in the midst of a primary season, uh, particularly on the right. Uh, there's There's been a debate over this and, of course, the economic fallout, which I hope we'll get to uh, later on. But uh, can you just also talk about how the federal government, the, the J- J- U.S. Justice Department, is saying that this... Uh, could be a violation of the civil rights act and um there could be consequences such as withholding federal funds
2: that's right i mean i think there are um there have been the department of justice has obviously now um countersued uh the state of north carolina uh because the state of north carolina um governor mccroy specifically has filed suit against the department of justice alleging that their interpretation of um Title VII to the 1964 Civil Rights Act uh, as radical and not in line with previous um, agency and court interpretations. Uh, So what the Department of Justice has essentially said is that under Title VII of the 1964 Civil Rights Act, there's specific language in the text of the statute that says that it's unlawful to discriminate against persons on the basis of sex or employers can't discriminate against employees on the basis of sex. And so uh, the Department of Justice, or OCR, has interpreted this to mean that um, requiring transgender persons to use a bathroom that accords with the gender listed on their birth certificate and not the gender in which they identify means that you are discriminating against them on the basis of their sex under uh, Title VII of the 1964 Civil Rights Act. Uh, And so an important part of this, though, particularly with respect to the bathrooms, is that uh and previous um court decisions and the uh the EEOC the Employment uh Administrative Agency t- tasked with uh interpreting and um implementing Title 7 has found that equal access to restrooms is a significant and basic term of employment uh so essentially because non-transgender persons are permitted to use the bathroom with which they identify um as a matter of gender but transgender person or not uh that transgender persons are being treated differently and disparately than non transgender persons, and that's a violation of Title VII. Um, so that's the basic okay. uh, gist of the Department of Justice argument. Uh,
0: there's been this. Uh argument back and forth uh, we've we're talking about the uh, the perception by some that this is discriminatory uh th- there's also this other counter argument that look this is about the safety of our children you don't want some 45 year old man in a dress uh, uh, using the same bathroom as as a five year old girl but uh, empirically speaking we've not seen strong evidence uh, leading to believe that a transgendered individual poses any real threat to um, Children using that same bathroom, right?
2: Yeah, I think that's definitely accurate. I think it's, um, this is part of a larger, I think, uh, cultural war um, for those folks on the right in particular. I think that um, painting an image of a um, transgender person committing deviant acts against children is an easy way to. Um, to rile up public support for a law that is, uh, essentially blatantly discriminatory. I, I think the attorney general said it best, uh, in her news conference yesterday when she talked about fear of what's different and fear of, uh, what's unknown. And so I think that unfortunately, um, uh, th- those fears are being played upon in this, with this new, uh, law and, and in a way that unfairly stigmatizes, uh, transgender individuals or gender non-conforming individuals.
0: The economic fallout from this, uh, we've had uh, a host of large businesses uh Come together and issue statements of protest against this bill uh, PayPal canceling plans to uh, build a new center there that uh, resulted uh, in a potential loss of hundreds of jobs, uh, other major figures uh, canceling concerts like like Bruce springsteen from from the state 's point of view and I, I know we 're getting maybe too much into the the minutiae of this and the charlotte city government 's point of view of course, uh, which was I suppose the the, the the crux of of the dispute. Um, Does there come a time when the economic pressure gets strong enough that all the other legal matters aside, they're going to have to eventually cave?
2: I mean, you would hope so. I mean, I think that given the number of high-profile businesses from PayPal to the NBA threatening to remove the All-Star game from Charlotte, um, that that would put enough economic pressure on on the state uh, to back off of this uh, off of this uh, law that is uh, blatantly discriminatory, but I think the the one um, thing that makes that potentially not likely is as I mentioned before. I really think uh, for those who are in support of the bill, um, this is a larger cultural war as they might see it, and so for them, um, some. It, the saying goes that sometimes people are willing to cut off their nose to fight their face, and so right. I think that's exactly what's happening. I think that, um, that there are real ramifications for individuals in the state in terms of potential job losses if companies don't come here. And then there's also the threat of the federal government pulling funding because, um, as I talked about earlier, uh, the law does um, appear to uh, conflict with federal law, and so the federal government has the right to... To pull Title IX funding, for example, from right. uh, schools, so that's a huge loss for for a state that struggles that has seen some economic struggles.
0: And this is. Uh, Perhaps not a question uh, leaning on your legal expertise, but just as someone who's a resident of North Carolina, as as we understand it, uh, uh, several states, uh, largely in the South, have been uh, pushing similar initiatives. Uh, Georgia, famously, their governor, vetoing it due to some uh, corporate pressure. Uh, Other states, uh, Mississippi, following, uh, I guess, a different path, maybe the similar path of uh, North Carolina, South Carolina. The governor, Nikki Haley, uh, using an artful political maneuver to actually just... Push that issue aside. What about North Carolina, which a lot of people understand now is becoming more of a purple state, uh, a really growing and diverse population? Why, why the uh, politicians there in control are deciding to double down on this issue?
2: Well, I think that the uh, political geography of North Carolina comes into play here. I mean, I think that you have a number of urban cities, for example, that are are, tend to lean more progressive. Um, they're, um, the outer line rural areas tend to lean uh, more conservative, and so I think what you're seeing is indicative of what's happened in the state legislature generally. For those of us who live in North Carolina, this has been going on for some time now in terms of the, um, the, con- the uh, conservative um, movement influx into the state legislature um, enacting uh, laws and policies that Reflect uh, a conservative bent on that. Uh, the again, the political geography has a lot to do with that, with the uh, the representatives who would lean uh, towards more progressive policies being outnumbered, essentially. And um, again, I can't emphasize enough that I think that this is really part and parcel of a larger cult- cultural sure. war for those uh, who support the law. And so, I think North Carolina, unfortunately, is. Uh, leading the charge in, in, in the wrong direction. As you mentioned, even states like South Carolina um, have um, seen the light, so to speak, and, and and not wanted to go down this route. Uh, so it is unfortunate uh, for North Carolina that we are trending in the wrong direction.
0: Yeah, very interesting situation indeed. Uh, Professor Wilson, thank you so much for joining us. Really appreciate it again uh, for joining us at this early hour for you.
2: Oh, no problem. Thank you for having me.
0: That was Professor Erica K. Wilson from University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill.